Hey there, and welcome to Jed Banger's Ball. Uh, as always, I am your host, Jed Mayhew. What is going on? Happy New Year 2020. We are on the brink of war and fires and a lot of... Well, fuck, I don't want to... You know what? You knew that already, so I don't want to... I'm going to bring us down here. Uh, let's talk about what's good. Um, we uh, survived another uh, Christmas uh, with family. Uh, we all did. Um, if you're listening to this, you did. If you didn't, you didn't make it. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a weird time of year when you're doing what I do or what my wife does, which is sort of a, a freelance sort of thing. Um, where, you know, if you have an, if you have a kind of a normal nine to five job or whatever, um, when the, when the holidays come around, it's sort of known as a break from that, which, you know, I don't think it's ever a break. Um, you got other things you got to worry about stresses and money and gifts. And if you have kids and family, you got to do all that stuff, but, uh, I don't have any of that shit. So, um, what I do have is a nagging desire to be at work during the holidays, um, or to be working or to have jobs but here in Hollywood everything shuts down and it's you know it's actually the best time to be in LA because there's no traffic because no one's from here so everybody leaves um so I really enjoyed that part of it so it was a nice break went surfing a couple times saw a bunch of friends saw a bunch of New Year's folks Dane and I got together and wrote a bunch of stuff we are writing uh for the new zigzags album which will be recorded sometime this year and probably won't come out until 2021 um at that point uh we will be uh, dedicating it to our new president andrew yang um i don't i don't get political anymore because it's a losing battle uh on both sides it seems like but for some reason this guy is the first guy that i've uh heard that seems to make common sense. I don't know if he's right or he's wrong. Uh, I don't know if he has any chance in hell of winning when I talk to my friends that seem to be very opinionated about this sort of stuff. They seem to think that he has no chance whatsoever to win. Um, But if I had to just listen to a guy tell me what I sort of agree with, uh, in general, which is, you know, sort of common sense on all these issues. Um, and maybe like throwing in there a couple little experiments or whatever that are beyond my, uh, scope of knowledge. Then sure. Why not? Let's give it a try. Um, I think that's what, uh, a lot of people thought when they voted for Trump was that they wanted to just give something else a try. Well, you see where that got us guys. Jesus Christ. Um, anyways, again, don't want to, uh, focus on the negative. It's a new year. It's a new me. Um, like I said, uh, we've been writing a lot. We're not going to be touring a lot this year unless somebody offers us something that makes sense. Uh, we've been headlining shows and I don't even, you know what, where I, where I grew up and call we didn't call it headlining. We just called it. You played fucking last. And now... After all these years and doing it, I'm 40 fucking years old. I turned 40. Yeah, I turned 40 December 15th. Uh, you know, it's it starts to get more like kind of pro speak. And uh, that's fine. We can headline, but we've been 
playing last for fucking 10 fucking years. And if somebody can just uh, let us play second to last and uh, give us enough money to pay for a hotel that night, then sure, we're down. Let's do it. I don't know what Metallica is doing in 2020, but take us out, Lars. Jesus Christ. Been supporting you since I was eight years old. 32 fucking years. Uh, we just put out a split. Speaking of legends, uh, we spoke, ah, spoke. We put out a split seven inch with the legendary Mike Watt of the Minutemen and his band, Mike Watt and the Second Men. And on this uh, split seven inch, which comes out on Nomad Eel Records. Um, it is out now. You can get it on our Bandcamp, Bandcamp page, zigzags.bandcamp.com. We have exclusive Dodger Blue vinyl versions of the record. There's only 100 of those pressed, but they're a split 7-inch with Mike Watt. Uh, he covers our song, Sunken City, our ode to San Pedro, where he's from. Uh, we took some band photos down there years ago at a spot called the Sunken City, and we kind of fell in love with it and we love going down to that that town and, and it's kind of like a it's like a step back in time and they have like really cool pawn shops and uh cool like like lots of cool like weird old music gear and characters and why are you blowing up the spot don't blow up the spot jed well i don't care go down there and fucking figure it out for yourself um so we go down there and uh we wrote a song about it because we kind of like it, it, it reminded it reminded me of like you know, sort of like being in high school and finding these like cool party spots, you know, where you'd go down. We had a couple of spots called, one was called Spy Dial Spot, one was called the Delta, you know, there was Beer Bottle Beach. There were all these spots where you would go down there, you know, and you'd like be like, oh, I'm going to drink like three beers and get so fucked up and like, oh man, like I got a hand job over the pants or whatever it was. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it reminded me of that. So we wrote that song, and now Mike Watt uh, is covering it, and we cover the Minutemen classic, Political Nightmare, which when I talked to Watt about it, he wrote me and said that Kira, who was bass player of Black Flag, Kira Rossler, and also Oscar award-winning Kira Rossler, I believe she did the music for, I want to say the Mad Max movie, the last one, which is fucking rad. Um, God damn, that's a good movie. The Doof Warrior? Holy shit. Um, that is one of those movies, uh, that falls into like this sort of Shawshank Redemption. Mm, what the fuck else movie would I say that's on all the time? Any of the original Road Warriors or Mad Max. Um, Shawshank Redemption, Mad Max. One of those movies that like whenever, wherever it's on and whatever part of the movie that it's, on uh in you can just like sort of pick it up and start watching it from there and watch it to the end it's a perfect the new mad max movie new um is a perfect sort of tour movie in that like everyone can sit down and fucking relax and shut the fuck up and watch it um but anyways we put out a split record with watt um we cover political nightmare it's out now uh we have shows coming up including the record release show for the L.A. to Pedro EP, which is going to be January 25th at the factory in downtown L.A. That is with Nice and the Side Eyes and Urns and Argyles. 
and then we are going to do a few shows with um, our Writing Easy label mates, The Well, um, February 21st at Till 2 Club in San Diego, February 22nd, The Poor House in Oceanside, good to be back there, and 20, February 23rd at the new Permanent Records Roadhouse, which used to be Cafe Nila, Permanent Records took over the spot, uh, pretty much kept it the same, but now it's a record store, a bar, and they're having live bands there, um, and... I've been down there. We had my birthday party there. Um, I've been down there. It's great. Uh, Lance is great. Um, it's an exciting spot for the neighborhood. And, you know, it's like it's it's it could have been a subway. So it's good that it's uh, a record store. Uh, after that, we're going to play the Bigfoot. Um, I'm not sure if we're playing Bigfoot East or West. I got to fucking remember. That's March 12th. And then we're going to go up to the Bay Area and do two shows with Glitter Wizard. We're going to play Santa Cruz March 20th. And bottom of the hill, March twenty first, uh, with our, also with our friends Banquet on that show. Uh, and yeah, that's it for now. But uh, we're just gonna keep fucking uh, wood shedding, wood shredding, wood shredding away. I like to call it. I just started calling it that. Um, and yeah, we're gonna do another record, and then we're gonna fucking hit the road. And then you know, I told myself I was only gonna do this shit till I was forty, but eh, might be forty one. Might be forty two, isn't that what in that isn't that what everyone's into that forty two? Isn't that from Guardians of the Galaxy or some stupid fucking book? Don't get mad. I don't remember the name of the book and I don't read. But you know who else it doesn't read? Neil Young. And today's guest we have Laurel Stearns, who I imagine probably has met Neil Young. Um Laurel Stearns is a music manager, but she's more than that. She's also a friend and she has been around uh the music indie rock punk music world for a few years now i'm not gonna say how many because podcast hosts never give away our age even though i just did turn 40 um but she's been around the music for a long time uh we've had tons of mutual friends we met years ago i don't remember where we met uh laurel's one of those people that has also like me has been around so much that you just eventually assume that they are part of the furniture. Uh, and I mean that in the best possible way. But uh, we got to talking today about uh, what, it, you know, we got, we, got a, we got deep. We got into health. We got into, up, you know, music and upbringing and what got you, gets you started. But at the end, I, I sort of awkwardly tried to shoehorn in some business questions because I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast, we started it out sort of like talking about the music business and then it got more artistic and now it's a little free flowing, but I wanted to get some of those questions in there because I have questions too about what it means to be a music manager and what a music manager does. So I did kind of, I feel maybe awkwardly shoehorned some of those questions in at the end, but Laurel was game to play along. And uh, so without further ado, uh, this has already been fucking 11 minutes. This you guys can skip the intro if you want to. Uh, let's talk to Laurel Stern. You're listening to Dead Bangers Ball. Because, <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm drinking green so tea. Am I. You're drinking green tea. Is it yeah. matcha? Mine is a uh, Goyaku. It um, actually, this woman who she's like, I'm a cancer survivor. I drank this the entire time, and I'm like. Pfft. Why not get a jump on that? Right. 
like I don't have any bad cells currently. Yes. Knock on wood. But I was pretty impressed by like sh- this was like a big part of like I don't know if it's. I, of course, I believe the plant spirit medicine works. Like I'm a big believer in that. But Get as um, close to that thing as you can. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, because my mom complains that uh, she, she can't can hear, hear me anything? and she can't hear anyone else. Oh no. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're her. You're her son. That's <laughs> yeah, important. She, she barely. She wants doesn't to, know of all of us clowns. She wants to hear the guests, <laughs> not me. As Got much. it. Yeah. So she's like, I've had enough of you. <laughs> um, no, but talk about that. I want to hear more about this because sure. Well, that's like when it comes to like our relationship to where we are mm-hmm. <laughs> on earth these things are here yeah. they give to us when we recognize it and choose to partake in it and green tea amongst other herbs and such i just i'm like i dive in every day yeah yeah it's huge like it you know there's throughout time people have asked me like you're always so positive like i think they think it's fake mm-hmm. and i'm like okay now you've known me 25 years and uh-huh. I, this isn't some hollywood shit right this is just how it is i think i might have thought that about you for a while <laughs> for until, sure like, until i got to know you more <laughs> yeah. but i mean everyone i know that i'm really good friends with now is like i had to say when i first met you i thought you were such a fucking asshole and now i really like you know like so <laughs> me no me oh <laughs> people say that to me it's like damn no no not you yeah i people always tell thought you me, were cool you were just sassy <laughs> oh see that's how fake you are uh, no but <laughs> I, like I never it. said jed sucks that's why i'm sitting here right now <laughs> i love that i love the idea that people are coming up to me and telling me that they think you're an asshole <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm like making an impact here. No, that's funny that you see this, though, because I had written down. Yeah. Uh, w- I wanted to ask you what your like daily routine is because oh, cool. I was just thinking about that today because I'm also drinking green tea, but yeah, I don't drink is... anything hot, though. I can't, I can't oh, handle I hot love... food or hot tea or anything. I hate it. The hot thing, I don't know where it came from. I grew up in Palm Springs yeah. and like it's 110 on the regular there. Right. And... I always wanted hot beverages mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is. Like I'm sweating already and I'm just adding, you know. Well, they say people like they grew up in, I mean, that's why like if you grow up in a hot climate, you right. eat a lot of spicy food because yes. it cools your body down. I don't totally. know if it's the same with hot I, I, temperature. Something, something's there. Yeah. And it always just made me feel really comforted. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I, ice, cold, not into it. Yeah. Hot. Hot tub. Because I'm, <laughs> your chest is the same way. <laughs> yeah. Like with the sauna out back. Like every so morning, down. I'm, I drink the cold brew coffee every morning, and then I'll bring her like a cold brew or something like that. Yeah. And then she's like, "Okay, cool. Now I'm gonna go make a hot coffee after that." I she get that. She can't do it. That's I'm that way. Roger's opposite. He's cold. I'm yeah. hot. Interesting. Um, and I run every morning. Yeah. So. And I've been doing that too. So so what do you do then? So wake up in the morning. I'm I'm pretty like I had this conversation the other night, which is funny. Like someone was like, "Do you just sit and like pontificate?" Well, it's the new year. We're all like thinking about this. Totally. Stuff. Jess like, couldn't go to yoga last night because the classes were full because everyone's on their resolutions. In that you know, zone. <laughs> I I mean I like the zone is presenting itself really loudly right now. I was at a vegan restaurant with nine vegans last night that are all it's like a group like vegans and music and a lot of really cool people but um we went to a restaurant where the owner the proprietor has been silent intentionally for 20 years wow that's like the opposite of every vegan i've ever met he doesn't speak yeah and um the restaurant was amazing i'm all yeah dude's just like focused on how does he let you know he's vegan then 
Well, the restaurant is all vegan. He has an iPad. Um, So, you know, and then he was leaving the restaurant to go feed the and give water to the animals at the Farmer John slaughterhouse. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was like, wow. If this isn't like a glowing sign of like. What's the name of the place? All Lock. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's downtown. I went there a long time ago for like the jazz brunch Mm -hmm. because they had vegan jazz brunch. And once upon a time, I was a vegan for 23 years. Uh And then one day I was like, can I swear? Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. I was fucking starving myself. <laughs> and so the I was like, I basically was like, I need to eat something else. And, you know, my my family, they're Russian Jews. Maybe mm-hmm. that has something to do with it because those are not vegans. Right. And they, you know, both sides, we always had meat until I was 12 and I became, I was a little punk rocker. Yeah. And everything, I rebelled against anything that anyone told me to do. And I wasn't naturally, I wasn't actually angry. I was more just like, I'm doing things my way. Mm-hmm. And um, that stuck with me <laughs> forever. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it isn't. But the vegan thing ended, and it ended in a way, actually there was someone who, who uh, she confided in me that she just quit her veganism mm-hmm. the other day. And she's yeah. like, dude, like everyone's gonna freak out and i'm like no they're not because like what was going on your doctor told you to stop and she's like basically so i'm like yeah oh you're gonna go down holding a vegan torch and into like your coffin well i have friends that are like trump supporters (laughs) but they only are on text you know it's like really yeah of course yeah I mean, we can thank him for pulling back the curtain of everything. No, I'm just saying, like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah. you can't do it in public. No, you, you gotta, can't. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. But yeah, so that, like, I start my day with running our beautiful Mount Washington. Every day you run. Every day. Right. If I have a 7 a.m. flight, I am up at 3 a.m. running. Right. Because, but so, <laughs> but do you find that, like, that that beats up on your ankles or joints or anything not like that? yet no again but not do you yet. run on concrete or where do you go you, pretty much you're okay like that i like, am yeah. i mean everyone's like you gotta like find the soft stuff right you know, the shock absorbent i haven't felt it yet mm-hmm. and you know i'm like halfway through this life like i don't think i'm gonna live to be 100 mm-hmm. or whatever right. I, I have no idea but sure. um i don't feel it yet right. and i've been running consistently every day uh I, I knew this about you just because years? when I saw you in Echo Park running sometimes, you know, <laughs> right, but like, right, right. I think I've been running. And when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in the, well, I was a teenager in the nineties and eighties mm-hmm. and I like did like jazzercise. <laughs> I was like, it was a jazzercise type thing. I did 60 minutes of pop sugar hit <laughs> totally. this morning and it was, and it was I six mean, women on YouTube yes, and they were doing like, all right, girl, booty time. Yeah. Like were, that's what they were talking about. And Jess was like in bed, you know, and I was out there doing, <laughs> doing it, you know? your like yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and it's, then I did button thigh after that. So I mean, yeah. for good reason, yeah. you know, fit yeah. feeling mentally and physically fit is so powerful, uh-huh. which adds to like, Hey, what's up? Instead of like, what are you doing? Like, I don't have that attitude ever. No, you don't. <laughs> I have the like total, um, sort of Adam Sandler, explode anger thing and then like go right back to normal yeah. and then everyone's like what the fuck dude and i'm like yeah. what i'm fine and they're like no but <laughs> you just were like out. screaming like a minute ago yeah. and i'm like no but i'm totally fine now so right. it's like that's what i'm like trying to get balance out 
in the beginning of the day is get that out of there so that it doesn't it's come. It's huge. Yeah. And you're doing the right thing because that's a great way to channel it. And I know like I come from a family that's more like curb your enthusiasm mm-hmm. vibes. <laughs> like Roger's family is like the Waltons. Mm-hmm. So loving, right. so kind. <laughs> yeah. Mine's like Larry David vibes. And you know, if you're in a bummer place, you don't go talk to my family. Right. They'll just be like, well, why'd you do that? You know, it's like, you don't, no, that's not what I need right now. I mm-hmm. need like some consoling. Um, they're great people, but I, I, I guess like well, this can be like a kind of a Jewish thing, you know? Like, it's very sort of, yeah, Jewish. Yeah. yeah, I think, and I, I mean, there's a reason for stereotypes. Cause yeah, pretty much all of it is truths, and I don't this woke stuff. Like we can't get into pro. I'm like, this is just fact. I said this. To, <laughs> I said this to Jess last night. Like, I said this to Jess last night because we were watching that show Billy on the Street. Have you ever watched okay. that? Mm-mm. Oh my god, it's this it's this guy Billy Eichner, and he's like a gay comedian, and he goes around and he interviews people in New yeah. York City. But he walks up to this guy, and the guy's holding a bunch of flowers, okay. and he says, "Where are you headed?" And the guy goes, "Oh, I'm going to a dinner party. I'm just bringing these flowers." And he goes, right. "Oh, are you gay?" And the guy goes, "Yes." And he's like, "And I was like, how did he know he's gay?" And then Jess was like, "He's, he's carrying flowers, he's and he's a man carrying flowers to a dinner party." And I was like, oh, "I never thought of it that way." But this guy, because he is that, he knows. Yeah, you know. Totally. It's the same, yeah. And it's you, okay. It's okay, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I was fascinated it. by it. I yeah. Was just like, I don't oh, know I, if I would be that bold. <laughs> well, that's his but, whole character, though. That's right. his character. That's his know. thing. Yeah. I know. I mean, there are certain people like Bill Burr. Right. Where I'm just like, oh, yeah, you're you're funny. Oh, yeah. And this is good. <laughs> so, go. um, so where were we? I'm sorry. I, I was getting we're, we're lost on, in the Jewishness of it. I'm yeah. fascinated. <laughs> all, all my favorite friends are Jewish people. So I'm always really? like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I'm drawn to your, our people. Your, yeah. I think when I was a little kid, my grandmother, uh, said to me, would just always tell me how she was Catholic. We were yeah. Catholic, but she would always tell me how great uh, Jewish people were. And that's so rare. But also how, how great Israel is. I think it's like more of a like a right wing sort of thing. Okay. You know? I think that's what she meant when she. But she always told me about like. Wow. And, and I grew up in a place where there were no Jewish people at all, so it was like. Where did you grow up? In like Eastern Washington State in the desert. Oh, I mean, right. there were, but right. I just didn't know anyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. Like no one, we no one ever talked about it. I only saw wow. Jewish people on. TV and then all my favorite comedians I would find out later were Jewish. Totally. And so I've always, and then, you know, my wife is Jewish and, you know, so yeah. you and just interesting, you know. Well, there's like the neuroses and there's like money and there's like, there's so many things that are very, like, you know, they're sexy. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and all of that stuff compounded into like usually small people. Mm hmm. There's also that, right? Because we're not normally known as tall, mm-hmm. so there's you know there's a sort of like get your word in kind of thing because right. we're little, mm-hmm. and um, I mean I'm being so stereotypical well, right whatever. now, but like you can do it. There's Jews of all sizes and colors and beauty, so like whatever, everyone. yeah, like everyone, of course. And we, but do, do you find that that has uh, this is because this is interesting too? So like. Do you find that that makes for like a good manager, like in general? Business people, yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's I Adam Sandler again, like he's always his agent is like he always does this character, totally. you know, it's like his agent or whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, well, we all know, like it's been said, I mean, throughout time, like there are a lot of Jewish people that are prominent in this business yeah. on the on the business side. Yeah. And, you know. There are some. <laughs> my phone. It's not my phone. I know this happened the last time I did this. Hold on, hold on. Keep talking. Keep sure. Talking. Sorry, sorry. This so the last time I did this fucking thing too, and I, I, I should I, probably turn mine off just in case. Rude, I was. 
Yeah. Last time, and I said never again. And I was gonna say turn your phone off when you got in. Oh yeah. And then I. And then, I'm good. No, but I'm not. That's the problem. <laughs> it's okay. Jesus Christ. It happens. Oh my God. It's um, so annoying. It happens to everybody. I know. But yeah, when it Wait, comes, what are we talking about the we're talking about oh. the um, <laughs> the business world of of like the Jewish. Yeah, sure. Like throughout time, like banker, they you know I don't they always know. It's had just this a silly question. I just like I was thinking when I first got an agent, you know, for acting, yeah. I was like, I was like, um, oh, I, I like. I Are they Jewish? A, I should get a Jewish agent, you know, like right. that's, that's like what you do because in that, like in to make it in Hollywood, and then and my agent, his last name was Israel. Oh wow! And I was like, oh wow, that's I can't. That's, that's ultimate. The, the most Jewish person <laughs> yeah. I've ever met. Yeah. You know, like I can't believe how like lucky I am to find this guy. And then later on, I I think I said something to him like. Oh, you know, and, and, you know, you, you grew up, you know, Jewish. Do you practice yeah. Hanukkah? He's like, no, I'm not Jewish. I, I was in a cult in uh, Joshua <laughs> Tree, the children of God or whatever. And oh, we all wow. have the last name Israel. Like, so he's he like, was in the children of God? Was it? I don't know if it was children of God. It was some cult, though. But <laughs> okay. it, was like, it was like, he's like, yeah, everyone has the name Israel in this cult. And I was right. like, oh, I went from having an agent who's, a, who's Jewish to like was in a cult. Cult. <laughs> I mean, there's some manipulative ways there that might serve you. I don't know. It's I know. Just, it was just the exact opposite of what I was hoping for. But, right, right. But, you know, we're still together. He's a good guy. Oh, cool. But yeah, the Jewish thing, I don't, there's, there is like a deep, I know this, I'm not a part of it because I've never chosen to be a part of, like, there are like rabbinical circles that happen at CAA. Like, there are yeah. certain people that are like deeply committed to the faith and there are you know they say the gay mafia in the music industry or any industry you know the geffen like there are little groups sure. it's almost like or you know aa, AA is yeah. a, that's I heard a that that's another good sure, way sure that's like a you know a somewhat benevolent cult yeah. i mean i don't know if it's yeah it's benevolent yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah but there are there are these like you know, systems that play into certain rules that are, that could be based on your sexual preference, mm-hmm. your religion, like, and people feel comfortable in knowing sure. that, like, oh, you have this faith or you have this belief system. And I, I love when people find like minded grounds yeah. to, like, connect on, you know? It's just interesting in Hollywood or in music or film or whatever mm-hmm. when you go, like, okay, there's like Jewish, gay, Scientology. Yeah. AA, like these weird, like these different groups, you know, totally. that are like kind yeah. of, that kind of make you think of Hollywood in a way too, or, you know. Well, I would say like this city, this area in general was, if you really think about Hollywood and like entertainment and this place, it was built upon mysticism and creativity. Mm-hmm. You think about the early Max Sennett, Hal Roach, those are like early, early creators. And then you've got, you know, the Manly P. Halls and those people, like, you know, with their Yogananda, all the spirituality yeah. coming to Los Angeles. Well, so, up by where you live is the... Yeah, uh, the Self-Realization, Self-realization Center, which, yeah. you know, strategically, Roger and I were like, oh, dude, we can see it yeah. from our deck. This, yeah. is, this is probably a good spot. Yeah. Like, he knew his vortex. Right. So, we, you know, we all, like, look at this and go, oh, yeah, this is something. But I'm like, it's been here for century plus. Right. So, I'm like... Yeah, there's some to that. There's the thread of like that DNA in this culture. Right. And it came from both sides because they would fuse a lot. Like, oh, my spiritualist, my, you know, you think about 
people, Rick Rubin, they've got they've got their <laughs> gurus. Everyone's got their gurus, and I'm like, cool. Everyone's got something to believe in. It, I'm totally down. Like, do I think there are spaceships floating through my blood system? I don't know about. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but. Somebody might, and that's totally fine. I've seen Rick Rubin in in, in real life three times. Uh-huh. Um, always at like kind of a big concert where there would be like a VIP section, right? And it's every time I've spot. Every, <laughs> <laughs> every time I've seen him, he was partaking in what in the free massage that was being given. in the area. Yeah. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> Love that. So it was like the wow. first time it was just like we'd walk by and we're like, oh, that's Rick Rubin in that massage chair. You know, we're like, okay, that's fine. You know, and then the yeah. second time we saw him, he's like, he's in a fucking face down, like airport style massage oh thing. At in a, the airport. No, at like a Slayer concert. Okay. The Palladium or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And then the next time I saw it, it was like, a, I think the Shins were playing like some of the Hollywood Bowl or somewhere. And we were backstage and we saw Rick Rubin and he was getting a massage. <laughs> he just Those were actually the- for the band. <laughs> He comes to these shows to get a massage. That's amazing. But I also thought, like, you know, he could probably get a masseuse to come to the house, He too. probably does. Yeah. I would imagine that was probably, like, his fifth massage of the day. I, I think so. I think <laughs> yeah. he just always sees a... Those are at night. He just always sees an opportunity, massage. you know? Totally. Well, amazing. coming... Backing up. So, you... Mm-hmm. you I, I don't know why I knew this, but you... So, you grew up in, in Palm Springs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... and, and, and where did your parents... So, where did your parents come from? How did they end up there? So... I, most, my, both sides of my family are Bostonians. Okay. And I, my parents got a divorce when I was very young, when I was four. So my mother took us, my brother and I, and we stayed in this tiny, we were, well, he was two, I was four. My dad moved. Um, my dad was in the hotel industry. And I remember, um, my mom took us in the divorce and we were in a place called Peabody, Massachusetts, which was a total dump. And I just remember being like, I was, I was, I mean, I remember getting picked up by the cops when I was really little. Like I would just take off. Yeah. My mom was very much a latchkey type caregiver and I would just bail. I remember being in the back of a cop car when I was like six. Wow. So I would just take off, wander around Peabody, see what's happening as this tiny child. And at one point, my mom decided, like, I think you need to raise these kids. So we moved to Palm Springs at the age of eight. And I remember being terrified because I had seen some magazine article and like a donate to earthquake fund situation in the magazine. And I was like, we're going to where the earth moves now. Like, it was so overwhelmingly scary to me. When I was a kid, like, I remember (laughs) hearing about someone moving to Palm Springs or living in Palm Springs and... I thought that Palm Springs was like on the beach, like on the water. <laughs> you know, my whole yeah. life I thought that until like 10 years ago. I thought it was that's like incredible. on the water. Yeah, you that's know? Un- way down underneath. Not yeah. Even close. <laughs> no. yeah. So we moved there. And, you know, when you're in a place that's like caters to the newlywed and the nearly dead, it's not a lot for kids to do. So you make up your own fun. And we, there was a small sect of us, small group that had discovered punk rock. And like, I was like mailing away for fanzines, like taping 50 cents in these envelopes and sending them to like Roar Records and, you know, uh, Flipside and, um, all of it, Maximum Rock and Roll. Yes. So I was definitely 
always searching, digging, trying to find where is it, where is it? My cousins had turned me on to punk rock back in Massachusetts. What were the bands that they were into or what were the first bands that, that you were listening to? So the first time, it was on WBCN radio. WBCN used to be like a edgy station. They would play, I, I heard Crass, Big A, Little oh, A wow. Crass, on yeah. WBCN, which was mind-blowing. And then I remember hearing the talking heads mm-hmm. and having my head blown off. <laughs> I was just like, I don't even understand. How is this? What is this? And I was really young. I was like maybe eight or nine. And we would always go visit for Thanksgiving after we moved to Palm Springs. We'd go back right. to Massachusetts to visit my dad's family out there. So, you know, between like the B-52s, the Vibrators, Crass, Flux of Pink Indians, um, I loved the slits, the raincoats. Mm-hmm. Like there were so many. Brian Eno, like I discovered Ambient through his On Land. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was just like, I don't, what is the, you know, there's so much good music magic to yeah. that moment where everything was brand new. There was not like, I've heard this before. Right. Like we are now. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I'm totally down for all new music all the time. It never gets old. I, I was thinking about that today, though. It's just like, I think you and I are probably in the same boat. And a lot of the people like our age that have done a lot of this stuff. And it's like, I go, I don't, I'll go to shows now, but it's like, it's got to be like a friend's right. band or someone's in town or someone totally. that's like, I have never seen before. Yeah. Or like, um, we went and saw, uh, I don't want to talk shit on anybody, but we, okay. saw, we went and saw a guy the other night that like, I was like, I know this is not going to be good, right? but I, I followed this person's career for mm-hmm. a long time and i know it's not going to be good but like i don't know if i'll ever see this person play again so i'm just gonna go so okay. it's like that you know what i mean like yeah, that's when i like go a moment yeah that's why yeah. i'll go to show like it's hard it's just hard to fucking go to show i used to go to show every night every night you know we would go every same yeah like more than one show a night yeah often um and that searching for like the moment, that visceral moment that happens when you're in the sweet spot of something you love. Yeah. Like there's nothing like that. Like that feeling of like, I remember a couple shows, like I saw Black Flag when I was 12. Yeah. That was my first show. Just saw them too, yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay, now I know that this is my path. I told some kid that I saw Fugazi and they were just like blown, blown away. away, you know? Like yeah. it's like, and I saw like the uh, the second version of what you guys saw, totally. like Minor Threat or Fugazi, you know? I saw, and I saw that and I was just like, you know, I was it 13 was or amazing. something. It was amazing, you know? And, and then I think about it and I go like, oh, I feel bad that I don't have the motivation to go to these shows as much as I used to. But then I think like, well, there's some other kid that's going to take that spot and is going to have that feeling. And I'm just standing in their way, my six foot three goofy ass. Let let them go up front. I'll be in the back. And you're right. Like when it came to like the cultural impact of certain things back when I was a tiny child, like... I'm pretty sure, like, the news was covering moments. Like, I remember reading in, you know, the LA Times or even the Desert Sun, like, you know, riot ensues in Huntington Beach. They exploited. And I was like, I was at that riot, even though my dad didn't know where the hell I was. I would sneak out, either 
go with the big kids to LA. Sometimes we'd hitchhike, but risking a lot. Yeah, hitchhiking on the 10. I'm wow. like, what? Um, I don't even want to drive on the 10, much less No, hitchhike. let's stand on the <laughs> side of the road. I know. Did they have bands coming through Palm Springs or did you have to just get to LA? We, they, I went to LA as much as I could yeah. and saw incredible things. Like It's an hour and a half. It's yeah, a it's close, but it, you know, to a, a kid sure. without a car, it's far. Um, bands would come. There wasn't a lot. Black Flag came twice. Yeah. They played this JC building and they played this place called Rumors and they completely destroyed it. It was a disco. Yeah. And that was just it sounds like, like a disco. It was oh, like yeah. a gay club or something. Rumors. Pretty yeah, yeah. Pretty much like not for a punk rock show. Right. right <laughs> so right. but JFA came, uh, yeah. SWA came at one point. Um I remember uh who else came out? Sin thirty four. Like there were certain LA bands that sure. would come through and then we had our little scene. So there was like uh there was a uh this guy Mike Michael Bates, they had a skate shop and he had um a band called Target Thirteen. And Target Thirteen ended up on a Rodney on the Rock compilation and it sort of tied in like red cross and all these different artists started to kind of discover a little bit of our desert land because they ended up on this rodney comp the first one and so we you know we we had there was a little bit of an awareness like i think some of the people from social distortion would come because we all partied really hard yeah that's like, what i rem- I mean, not, not re- remember <laughs> yeah. but i've heard these kind oh, of yeah. stories like we generator were generator parties and generator parties were yeah. where i lived yeah. like i think there's like generate there's generator footage and even like girls you know sh- movie that's from my childhood right i was like oh that's like our generator party because it was the desert and um there were moments where like you know I think that the the people who partied really hard, like like Social Distortion, like those bands, they would be like, oh, those kids in the desert, like they go off. Yeah. So they would go and come and hang out with us just to get really hammered. I feel like that's the, <laughs> like, I feel like that's the same. Like that's the way we feel now when we've gone and we've played in like like uh, Mexican border towns. Yeah. Where it's just like it's automatically like the vibe is like automatically. Uh, jacked up and like people are ready to party totally. and there's not like oh the show's got to be over by midnight like the it's kids almost are, lawless they're ready they're ready yeah. to go you know and totally. and, and, I, and it's like i have to i don't find that so much in in anywhere else in the states right right now but i know what you mean yeah i think it's more rural <laughs> well it was rural though but yeah. i think now the rural thing is like people have phones and they have fucking totally. video games and they yeah. have Netflix or whatever. They don't have, like, when they used to not have anything. You'd hang out. You'd go hang out, you totally. know? It's like, have you seen that Twisted Sister documentary? Yes. Oh, my God. It was awesome. It's amazing. I know. And, like, those kids the- that are just, like, we'll see the same band every night. Yeah. Like, because they were like, what am I going to do? Sit at home with my parents? Yeah. There's three fucking channels on the TV. Like, I'm going to sit in the living room. We have one TV. Totally. Well, I'm going to go sit in my room all night long and they would just go. Yeah. You know? And that yeah. that's what we, like, those generator parties were like that. Yeah. It was the same lineups pretty often. Yeah. Obviously, there's only so many of us in the desert with bands that, you know, and it was, you know, this like, ex- it was such a crazy backdrop of like resort, wealthy, <laughs> yeah. super leathery, yes. old yes. senior citizens, and then us. And I'm like, this is 
it's kind of the best contrast ever. I love going out there now just because of the characters that are out there and going to like uh, Sherman's and these places, these delis and like, and the the old people that are out there now are just like fascinating, you know, and they're friendly and interesting and they're from all over the world. Yes. It brings that in. I mean, it definitely brings in a people who, want to just kind of hide out yeah or i don't want to say hide out, but you can go there without at one point like when we were being raised there you know my dad was very integrated in the world of like notable people there because he ran the hotel mm-hmm. he was very close to you know all the folks at like the ingleside inn and melvin's and all like the canyon hotel was where everyone stayed melvin's i love melvin's, melvin's so it's still there i'm <laughs> yeah, like we went there oh not God. that long ago i know great. i'm like i feel like i want to ask people do you remember my dad you know like any old timers they would yeah. um and my dad he turned he turned that hotel into like a place where um he loved gambling I mean, I'm named after a racetrack in Maryland, mm-hmm. and he loved to gamble, and he was very close to the guy who ran Caesars Palace in Vegas, so he would bring Muhammad Ali, Cooney, Sugar Ray, all those. He set up a ring for them to spar mm-hmm. before they'd go for their big fights, oh, wow. so he turned it into this hub of just these boxers, you know, bench pressing us as kids, like Sugar Ray raising us up, and that's, you know what I mean? Like, oh, the kids, and... We were in this mix of like totally dynamic people all the time, whether it was Sonny Bono or Kirk Douglas, Malcolm McDowell, Sinatra, all these folks were hanging out. Yeah. And I was used to like really big personalities. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> uh, did you ever run into like uh, John Phillips and his family out there, like Bijou Phillips or any of those kids I, out no. there? No. Because I remember I was talking to... Um, when were they there? This is what I don't know. Because I was talking to the singer of that band, Throw Rag. Oh, yeah. Sean. Sean. Sean Wheeler I grew up with. Okay. See, this is the thing. And he owns the the car wash out there. His family does. Uh, I didn't know this. <laughs> yes. I, I had a band and we played with them a million years ago. Yeah. And I was talking to him at a show and I think we were talking about Palm Desert or something like yeah. that. And I had another friend, another friend of mine named Sean who also grew up there and I think he actually lived with Sean Wheeler when he was a kid. He like kind of was oh, wow. like, a, you know, adopted by their family or something like that. Okay. And he would say that, you know, oh, we used to run around with like, Bijou Phillips and that that family and like do drugs and like you know lots blah, of blah. drugs. But yeah, I mean I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I I could be remembering wrong. I just I I just remember hearing that like John Phillips and the, them lived out there. But I don't. I, I mean, depending on the year. Yeah. I moved out of Palm. Sp- I I did not live there after eighty eight. And so I lived, I moved to LA in 88. Uh, this is probably teenager. the 90s, I think. This yeah. is like the 90s. I missed yeah. that yeah. part. Yeah, I, I was oh, like early. And you know, the whole Sons of Caius, like all right. of that, Scott Reeder. I was in a band when I was 14, and Alfredo, the original drummer of Queens, and Caius was our drummer. What was the name I of the I never. Band? <laughs> Velvet Cross. Um, <laughs> That's not that bad. That's not so, that bad. I, I was in the Ninja Boners at the same oh, time. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, t- ten years later. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, exactly. That's different. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Way worse. That's, I'm going to just, yeah. Yeah. It's, pu- it's public now. But. Yeah. I'm trying to, oh, God. I was, I was doing this show with this kid the other day, and uh, 
he uh told me his band name and it was one of the worst band names i'd ever heard uh, and yeah I, I felt bad for him it vibed hard as whole world i can't remember what it was it's was terrible <laughs> i was just like jesus christ i wish you hadn't said you, that you know. yeah whole so. perception changed um so okay where were we i'm sorry we were going you were you moved away in 88 yeah to here oh to yeah. Here. yeah i did spend two years in florida which was oh, also yeah. bonkers yeah. <laughs> and like again close to death moments all the time with that place is even more insane than palm springs oh yeah florida like, yeah florida, florida is florida's hands down florida's the goat i mean it insanity it, for sure florida and, and germany that's why they have the thing like did this crime happen in florida or germany because it's i didn't know fucking, that but that makes total <laughs> sense totally a thing. that is definitely i can see the correlation totally it, like, it was pretty pretty gnarly where, where in and florida so palm beach okay. and so i would yeah. um with the big kids go to fort lauderdale and miami often they had a there was a show there was a place there for shows called the cameo mm -hmm. i saw everyone from johnny thunders to the ramones to friggin dri like everything came through what year there. was that that was 86 okay, to 88 yeah. right and so i guess the ramones were still like playing a lot of shows then. yeah i got to interview him right. for a magazine which joey was, johnny joey joey yeah, yeah i have it on cassette still sweet, you want to interview the sweet one. Oh my god he was so nice was dd in the band then or cj it was Didi? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was pretty rad. Yeah. Like the whole thing was. <laughs> it's pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is magic. I just watched one of their like live shows. I can't. It's that. Uh, it's the famous live one where they're in the UK. And it's just like they're just playing so fast. That it's so like, good. Amazing. You know, and it's so tight. And like, <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, you get so burnt on the Ramones, you know, that like you have to go like 10 years without listening yeah, to them. You know, yeah. you're like walking to the mall and it's like, fucking, and then it comes on. Yeah. I'm at the Glendale Galleria every day and the fucking, <laughs> Oh, that's where you Bob. go. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I, that's my daily routine. Nice. Is I like, like green tea, the I Galleria. Go, <laughs> go to Claire's. Uh, I have a swing oh shift there. I pierce ears. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's what I do. Well, these uh, are great earrings you're wearing. Uh -huh. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so then what, at what point then did you start kind of like, so you started interviewing, so you were interviewing, but like, what did you start thinking like, oh, I want to do this or I want to get in the band side or I want to get more in the like business right. side or the booking side or. Well, so I never, I definitely did not want to be in a band when I was in a band, right. there were two bands. It was almost like there was like two and a half. Cause I actually had a, there was a band that uh, a guy named. Uh, Damien from a band called Slug here in LA. He, we recorded some stuff at KXLU when mm -hmm. I was younger. But um, what were you playing? I was singing. Okay. Yeah, I just sang in all the right. bands. I never really wanted to be in a band. Right. But for some reason, people were like, "You should be in the band." I'm like, "I don't want to be in a band. I don't like being on stage. Right. I like being behind the stage, on the side of the stage, in front of the stage, anything but on the stage." Um, so. Things just kept unfolding. I was always in, I felt like I was always in the right place, like seeing the best things, yeah. like experience, experiencing. And to share that with other people. Yeah, yeah, like it was so, I was so excited and passionate about it, which again, sometimes might take, the, people might take the passion as like, I'm trying to sell someone something. I'm like, no, I really fucking believe this. And um, I, at one point, I do remember actually Rick Rubin asking me like, so what are you listening to? And I was like, you're gonna have to pay me if I answer that question. <laughs> so, like, all right, you could just give me a massage. I don't know. Right. But Rick was always at all the good stuff. Like, you know, yeah. there were certain 
people that you would just you kept seeing and at one point um i the i started interviewing people for this little hollywood magazine and it was it was in la and it was like this you know rag but we got to interview great people like l7 and all these like things that were happening the grunge era was taking Mm -hmm. off um there was a moment in time where Courtney Love was crashing at my apartment and, you know, she gave me the first hold. I still have the first cassette of hole, like on a cassette mm-hmm. with retard girl on it. Mm-hmm. And it was genius. Yeah. And I was like, wow, there's something really going on here. And especially like with SST putting out Soundgarden, like yeah. things were just starting to like blues were being inter- injected into fast. It was slowing down. Yeah. And I was like, wow, there's like, there's a movement happening. And I, just kept I wasn't sure what I wanted to do but the music I was like I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do and I love music so I'm going to somehow parlay this into the Jew and me <laughs> into making money and I didn't <laughs> I didn't know how or what but I definitely was not going to serve a coffee I was going to go serve an artist somehow mm-hmm. so um so what was your first job so my first well I did get paid to do those interviews okay. and edit that yeah. magazine I think I got $250 a week to do that and back in that's L- not so bad no back in the 80s in LA I was I was a teenager yeah and I had my own place I dropped out of Parsons School of Design I was like dad I'm wasting your money like I'm you know, going into class and like clothes I wore to the show the night before. It was pretty, pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is not working. <laughs> so I was doing the magazine thing and then someone, I don't know how or where, but this guy named Ron Gowdy thought that I would be, um, that I would be someone who would be great in like a recording studio or like in a management capacity. So I actually went to Ron Gowdy produced a Poison record, by the way. Yeah, the name is familiar. Yeah. but he's also put, produced some other stuff too. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of what I recognize that totally. name from. But yeah, he's he's like. Was it Look What the Cat Dragged In? Yes. Okay. He did the yeah. Um, so <laughs> I was thinking the other day that like every rose has its thorn. It's like a really good song. Like mm-hmm. like it's not that bad. Like, no, yeah. those are good songs. Yeah. That's what they were hits. Yeah, I just don't understand why like Brett Michaels can't like understand how to dress like a normal his Person. age or just you know what i mean like if like if you just dress, a lot of people like that but if you just if he just dressed like his age and also had like some sort of like self-deprecating everyone would forgive him but instead everyone just acts like he's a joke. why are you holding on to this <laughs> yeah, i just, know everyone like, just dude, makes fun of him put the pant like the the, the hat hair, and the thing i know, you know? <laughs> I don't understand. Just, <laughs> just, just like shave your head and go like, hey man, like that Those was so, days are over. remember when I was in poison, <laughs> yeah. that was so silly, you know, like those days were, yes. Yeah. And everyone would, to- he could sing. And you could still do the songs. You could still do Every Rose Has a Thorn 100%. without like a joke. Behind. And people, you could be, I'm not quite Bon Jovi, but you could, yeah. you could have a career that would make a lot of people happy. Just be nice about it. Like, 100%. Like, I don't think, like, Billy Ray Cyrus kind of, he's, like, not a joke. He's, like... He parlayed pe- it. People like him. Totally. You know? yeah. And with LNX in the mix, guy's got... Yeah. Man, he's got... Between, like, having Lil Nas X and him, like, there's, like, 
He's re-upped his whole game. And I've met him a number of times. Oh, really? Billy Ray Cyrus. Mm -hmm. And I've told the story on the podcast, and I'm not going to do it again. But but I'll tell you later. Okay. But uh, And he was super cool. And like also just like, eh, you know, I'm Billy Ray Cyrus. You know, what are you going to (laughs) do? I'm going to smoke some weed and fuck it all. You know, he's like, he's totally himself, you know, and he's not trying to be. To be anything. Yeah. And that, like, therein lies, like, the key to success. Yeah. And once you honor who you are and what your like intention is you win and i like i found and that's what what my journey was i never was like i'm gonna be in the music i want to be a vp in the music industry i never had that thought right i was like because i didn't really understand what that was back then i just was like i need to do things i like Mm -hmm. i like this this is what i'm doing yeah so went from magazine to recording studios right um working on so many amazing records being like being able to like be in the studio and work on a record with like david bowie and rod stewart which was insane yeah oh yeah the bowie thing was crazy yeah with tin machine wow yeah that Reeves was gabriel's or whatever it was the hunt the the sales brothers oh, yeah, yeah. hunt and tony yeah. and david and i can't remember it was probably I the yeah i think it's reeves gabriel's i think yeah the, the fourth guy yeah, the guitar, um guitar player i never really interacted with him the sales right. brothers were very cordial and well, they're partiers was, right yeah yeah that's yeah. that's off mic <laughs> yeah. um so <laughs> i've heard it on mic before so not from you but it's, i mean obviously, yeah. yeah yeah there were like buckets yeah, in the studio sure. and shit anyway Oof. so and it, yeah that there was that i mean there was some rod stewart moments too um so <laughs> basically he carved penises and everything <laughs> It was crazy. I was like, what? It, Rod, you've been here. It was like Kilroy was here. Just penises, like with a little spurt. Really? And I was just like, dude. But, well, I wonder if that's everywhere. where the rumor comes from about like, remember remember in the 80s, they'd be like, oh yeah, Rod Stewart had like the ju- 15 gallons of semen pumped. <laughs> Maybe it's because he was just walking around. Just drawing. Drawing dicks everywhere. Drawing dicks everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, for real. <laughs> On the work order that I had to mail in to Warner. <laughs> like just... Mine. I love that because it's not even like it's not even really like a me too thing. It's not like he was no. doing it's just something that's just like so juvenile. There's and no ri- me too. Ridiculous. It's totally it's innocent. You're like, yeah. I'm like, cool. It's just like, what do you do? You're carving that in our NS10s. Thanks, man. I know. I was just like, what? On the bathroom. I ran into him recently uh-huh. at the uh club with no name or what's that no name place the, oh, yeah. on Fairfax. Yes. And I was like, we we had a moment because I was like, hey, man. And he's like, oh. And then we started. To, I was like, oh, do you remember the work orders? Do you remember your signature? He's all, shh. <laughs> oh, can't <laughs> do like, it anymore. No, he's done with that. Oh, he's, he's evolved. Um, super fun guy. I love Rob Totally Stewart. sweet. I saw I, him when I was a kid. And his awesome. daughter came on stage and sang. Ruby? Yeah. It, oh, I, I don't know what her name was. It was yeah. She's a little girl. She came on and sang on the stage. It's am at like the Gorge, you know. Right. In oh, Washington. Amazing. And, and he's kicking soccer balls into the audience. Yes. Lots pretty, of soccer balls. Yeah. Signed. Yeah. Into the Dick on a soccer yep. ball and kicked in the audience. <laughs> Love that guy. Yeah. Faces. It's great. Can't go wrong. Um, so so then I basically from the studio, uh, it was actually Ron from the studio. Ron like Ron somehow connected me, Ron Gowdy, with mm-hmm. this manager, Dave. And Dave was like, Yeah, I need a day to day person. I had never done this. And he was like, You should be that person. And we started bringing in artists like The Descendants and All and Guar. Oh my God. And I know it was cra- These were the first artists I ever worked with Some in that capacity. When I was 13. It was crazy. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't believe when I saw my name on the back of Everything Sucks as yeah. management. Wow. I was yeah. like, I'm freaking out right now. I'm, I'm, I, 
That's all I cared about yeah. as a kid. So I was like, okay, I can, I'm done now. <laughs> I'm totally cool. That was like, like the first record back with Milo or something, right? It yeah, was. I remember that. I we did that a deal yeah. with Epitaph, yeah. and like it was a really big deal, and you know, it for everyone because they come back, mm-hmm. and you know, people never get you know they never get sick of them. Oh no, not the at all. songs yeah. are. I love Bulletproof. The yeah. I do too. They're one of the best and um, they're still great. So then from there, again, people just seeing me out, I would always go out. You know, some people have these jobs and they're like, I clock in at yeah. nine. I clean. I'm like, no. And then I go see the show yeah. or the five of the shows. Yeah. I wasn't an A&R person yet, yeah. but I was still at every single show. Yeah. At some point. That was me. I was that guy too. I was oh just like, God. you know, every, every Everything. night, you know, and then go to work. And then, and the bands liked that though, because then they were like, oh, this, this they're person, familiar. Like, they really care. Or yeah. yeah. They're not like, oh, you're just here to like, see if you can cash in on me or something. Right. And, I was there because I wanted to see the music. I wanted to know what was happening and connect with that community. And at one point, A&R people, like senior people, like if it was at like a Nirvana show or it was at, you know, a a, a band right like coming up on the rise, A&R people were like, you're always at all these shows, like Beck or whomever, you know, mm-hmm. in the backyard or something. It's like, wh- who are you and how do you keep ending up at these shows? Because you're not in our world the label world and at one point this guy neil harris who was at london um he had asked me to scout and i said no i feel weird about that (laughs) and so i didn't want to scout for london polygram records i was like i'm not going to do that and at another point a guy why did you feel weird because it was like you felt like you're exploiting your friends yeah yeah i felt strange about that and i'm like and then at another point i was like oh my god but we should give these people money right (laughs) and like you know like expand upon what they're doing so they can move from Jabberjaw and Raji's to the Palladium and to the Greek, you know, like the, why, why I started to put the pieces together. I was still really little. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was like 22 or something. And, um, so I basically at one point was like, someone else had asked me to work for the Sony work group, a guy named David field to be his scout. And I said, yes. And I started bringing things in, like Queens of the Stone Age and Chumbawamba, the first hit, all these <laughs> yeah. things. I started bringing all this stuff in. It was so... Let me ask you this about Chumbawamba real <laughs> yeah. quick. Because like, cause they, cause you mentioned crass earlier, you know? And they what were people anarchists. Didn't, exactly. Yeah. What people don't know about Chumbawamba, even to this day maybe, but maybe now that they have the internet, was like they started right. out as kind of like an anarcho-punk band, totally. kind of an anarcho-folky punk band. Or 100%. But um, did, you, did you know them from that world? And then you're like, oh shit. Like They wrote the, a hit. Yeah, they wrote a hit, but <laughs> yes. you, yeah, you could tell or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had it on sure. a cassette. Right. And I played it for my very you know my boss for lack of a better term was a total art fag love him to death but he was like hi of course i'm going to meet that person i'm not going to meet the person who's signing you know some one hit wonder i'm going to meet the people from my community sure so david who had like signed the sugar cubes and you know he had done all these cool neil fint crowded house like he was like he's and still is is an amazing human being and I was like, David, I found I found a hit, this band Chumbawamba, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'm aware of them. You know, play me the song. I played it. He's like, this is toy music. Mm-hmm. This isn't good. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a hit. <laughs> like at that moment, I was like, okay, 
we work at a major label. This is Sony. They're not interested in cool. They want hits. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, you know, this is where like we would have these meetings and, you know, every every week. Uh, Jeff Aroff, who ran that label with Jordan Harris. Jeff is a very well-respected guy. Um, he was the art director that did like Super Tramps, Breakfast in America, and Frampton Comes Alive, and oh, yeah. he's an awesome guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, we would play songs like at the NR people. We'd all play like something that moved us from the past, not necessarily new songs. And I was like, you know, Randy Newman's Gone Dead Train off of the performance soundtrack. And everyone would just like look at me like, cool you know random yeah they weren't like giant songs they were like obscure weird things but at one i was so excited to actually bring something that i knew was like a crossover giant hit like this chumbawamba song tub thumping yeah yeah <laughs> i get knocked out yeah i was like this is an anthem yeah. for a football game mm -hmm. and he he passed on it yeah. and i was like oh this is a total bummer i could have been like on a whole other level had I gotten to sign that. Yeah. It didn't happen. It's fine. But <laughs> I have a friend, I have a friend who was like an intern at a major label. I think he was at Warner mm -hmm. and he said that he brought in, uh, uh, Dave Matthews band and cake and they, and the Passed. guy that he was interning for was just like, get out of here. This shit's terrible. Like I hate it. You know, like, and that, was on the regular. So when I finally committed to the full-time job, because I was just a scout then, um, I went to Capitol Records. And I I was just bringing in stuff, going, going, going. De definitely like deep in like the New York scene at the time, like bringing in the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and mm -hmm. Interpol and Fisher Spooner and James Murphy and actually got to sign some of those like we did make a deal with james murphy capital did there was a deal that happened with interpol and you know there was a deal that happened with fisher spooner that i had originally brought in and presented and it went up the chain of you know the ceos and everyone signed and off on it that wire song and <laughs> yes they did it was an amazing cover it was a good cover yeah i that was that was a great I'll, moment. The I'll Fisher admit Spooner. that that was the first. I I didn't know that song before that. The, that yeah. was fifteenth, wasn't it? Yeah, the fifteenth. Fucking great yeah. song. Yeah, it was. That was magical, and yeah. I loved being a part of that because that was like everything I always loved. Because I worked with Guar, so I was always like <laughs> theater. I want theater, and at one point I worked with that band People Mover. Like I loved oh, yeah. theatrical stuff. So um, Guar. That explains the people mover thing. Now oh, yeah. Think about it. Quad, and Fisher yeah. Spinner. Yeah. So all three, I mean, I was deeply involved in all three of those bands. Yeah. And basically, <laughs> I know, I like it. Pull. I love Quar. <laughs> I just, but I mean, I remember them on like Jerry Springer, you know? Like, oh, my God. Like fucking hilarious. Yes. There was, some, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like it just became, it just became something that I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm bringing in these things. They're letting me sign them. There were lots of moments where they like shut me down, like the Black Keys. You know, they were like, no, we tried with Arcade Fire. You know, there were so many moments of like, you know, they hadn't even like, there were so many moments of like it having to prove itself too, where I would bring it in really early. Like, well, Interpol was one of them. And Fisher Spooner was one of them where I would get there before like there was even an album out mm -hmm. and I'd bring it in and everyone would look look at me like I was a crazy person or like what like I'm like it's like cats meets new order that's Fisher Spooner mm -hmm. <laughs> and people would not get it 
until it ramped up in the in society same with interpol that was like that was a seven year like dance of like okay guys your record deal is done now what are you thinking and they're on like capital on it they were they were on, they were on matador mm, right yes that's they're, what i remember yeah yeah they were on matador i had i had connected with them in new york um carlos i met at like black and white he was djing mm-hmm. i walked up to him i don't even know i think i was like are you in a band like i was like total a and r dude you look really cool like something you have what is going on with you you're playing killer music and you have this like avant like germanic thing happening right he had, like, i think he had like a gun holster <laughs> yes, on like yeah. with his cell phone in it you look kind of like a Nazi. In well, a like in a, in a cool way. <laughs> in a cool way. Yeah, I, yeah. I know what you mean. I remember, I remember those Dude, days too. I'm not I mean, mad at those outfits. No, um, terrible people, but <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I can say it. it yeah, was, you can it was say bad it. time. That's, that's right. um, so basically, I I realized like, okay, this is how it works. Like, it just takes everyone already like your poor friend with cake and dave matthews he's not not poor trust me well but yeah you know what i'm saying it's like those moments of like getting shut down before everyone else figures it out worth so often and then it became easier once things were you know oh yeah this is everything okay this is happening this is happening and you know that i was just like god it's so fascinating to me because beyond my experience with that it's everywhere it's like okay, you don't trust the people closest to you that work for you, but then you listen to the people outside of your immediate solar system to get the answer. And that happens a lot in business Mm -hmm. where you've got a whole staff and you're like, but wait, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, but you, I work here. Right. <laughs> and right. I'm like, you, I, you're paying my salary. Why would you not listen to the people closest to you? And that happens all the time. Right. So it just takes, you know, it took them millions more to sign these artists. They finally did it. I think that um, at a smaller label, though, like Sub Pop or something like that, they, they did a really good job of doing the opposite of that. You know, way like opposite. Going like, oh, I, like Jonathan being like, oh, I am like, you know, in my, 50s or whatever and i'm gonna hire young people to tell me what to do or what what we do because they're gonna be the ones that are going to the shows and knowing what's going on you know and that's it and that's how they work though like sub pop is an incredible place that i know you worked at and i i love working with them i've worked with them i'm working with them now i just took on an artist that they is that moaning yeah Yeah, my friend dean signed that band yeah he was but now he, he left he left though yeah but that's like my best friend you know he's that, great i know he opened a record store in that's Seattle, what i heard yeah, i was really to, sad we that were just up there we saw him yeah yeah I, i'm bummed that he's not in the picture but i love you know i worked with them with father john mm-hmm. i worked with them with the album leaf like yeah they're those people sign most of those indies all the indie most all my artists now are on indies yeah they're in the beggars group they're at sub pop they're on ghostly secretly you know they're all relapse like my world is now based around people who do things because they are passionate yeah about them well i think in these days with music especially it's like if you if you aren't passionate about doing music i mean like what's the point because what's the point? like what the fuck there there isn't like the major label 
sort of cash cow of CDs right. or, or even like music videos or these ways that, you know, that we used to totally sort of hype things up. And we talk about this kind of stuff on, on this show a lot. Like, I, and I haven't done it in a long time because I've, mm. I've just had musicians and artists and things like that on here lately. But like, I had like Lacey doing Allison, uh, Allison, Tiffany Anders, yeah. Allison's her mom. Uh, <laughs> we did like a music supervision one and we've done, I think we've had some booking agents and stuff, but we haven't had any managers mm. on the show except for you. Oh, and then thank I wanted you. to ask you, like, Honored. Like, <laughs> like, what is like the role of like a, a man? Because people who listen they to the show, they ask me these questions, you know, yeah. stuff too. You know, like kids ask me these questions. Like when we're on tour in Europe, like someone's like, Jed Baker's ball, listen to the show. Like, <laughs> no like way. They, and they go, like, Oh, I learned about this thing, you know, like. So great question. And to, <laughs> yeah, to like, like reduce it down. The most basic question. Yeah. Possible. Our role is to create infrastructure yeah. for the artist and opportunities. Yeah. If, if I'm going to boil it down to like the sum nation, that is it. Create opportunities, like whether it's like get a great tour or license, you know, you know, do collaborations with whatever Microsoft awesome paycheck, <laughs> whatever opportunities mm-hmm. and infrastructure. Make sure there's a great TM in place. Make sure that everyone has the information they need. Make sure that like our deals we're doing are sound deals and strong and that all the communication that I'm working on with the lawyers, with the publishers, with the publicists, with the, you know, all aspects of the label, right. that everything's moving and right. it's rolling and you feel this sense of like kind of almost like this, you know, inertia. Like, that's what it should feel like, and that's what our role is, opportunities and infrastructure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, it's funny. I never really understood it because as a, as a publicist, I always was just like, oh, this fucking band has a manager. Like, great. Like, you know, like, I yeah. got to talk to this person now to get, like, access to this other person when mm. I used to just talk to this person straight up. Directly, and, you know. Yeah. But it makes sense in that in that way. And do you find that then that, that then you become sort of uh, sort of uh, the the middleman between the band and the label, or do you try to like let them kind of have their own relationship? Or I love when everyone has a close connection. Yeah. I don't like being the person who's like I'm the bad gatekeeper. Guy. Yeah, I ultimately would be the one to deliver certain news that yeah. I might tell the artist like don't let's discuss this us as the band and the management get our point straight our focus straight our prerogative straight and then if it's not fun news i deliver that news and i deal with you know whatever entity it is the label the publisher whatever um i don't like cutting off the relationships i think that everyone especially in the indie world um needs to stay connected and strong and have a rapport because that's something i felt like you know i felt like oh man like I'm I'm the publicist, but I'm also like friends with this band, you know. Right. So now to not be able to call them directly always felt super weird. But as I get older, and as yeah. I like kind of you know have dealt with like it on my own, you go like, oh, it makes well. More then you sense. can remain their friend. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the best part yeah. when you're like, there is something like, and it's a dynamic that is really interesting to me sometimes when it's like. I'm the manager and I, you know, with the artists that I work with that I'm really close to, that I talk to daily, weekly, you know, there's that thing where it's like, yeah, of course there are, these are people I love. I care about, you know, I've worked with like my span of like relationships on my artist roster from like 10 years to six years to, you know, it's like many years. And, um, when it comes to, you know, 
I don't want to just, I want them to also look at me as someone that they trust and can confide in as opposed to just like, oh, I'm a manager, you know. And that's, I'm definitely cultivating that regularly, going to weddings, going to, you know, being their friend, but also there's a, there's a definite role, you know, and the role of being a manager and handling whatever's happening, whether it's just scheduling and, and com- communication, um, you, yeah, you got to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, dude, call me back. What's going on? Right. We need to get this sorted. Well, do you find yourself having, do you have to go out and look for bands to manage or, or now it's like more like people come to you or you have recommendations or how does that work? Like, people, I have, it, it's very rare that I go after a band. Yeah. Um, it's not because, oh, I'm so badass that people are coming to me, but it's, I don't, I would rather have someone know about what I'm doing and come to, it's like dating almost. Like, I'm not going to go beg for a date. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I mean like, you and I probably I don't know about you, but I like I've never been on I've never been on Tinder, you no. know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I like we yeah. I missed that. <laughs> we missed Tinder. I missed that. Totally. Yeah. So like that, I don't ever, you know, I, I've always and had... And I'm glad that I didn't have to, like, you know, too, look for... swipe around. Or whatever. Just, I mean, in general, like, I that I meant Tinder is a bigger concept of, like, I wouldn't want to be, like, I'm not on Craigslist looking for bass players, right. you know? Like, right, you know, right. Like, and if I need a bass player, I'm not going to, I'm going to go with a friend or, you know... Somebody or, that's, like, know. in the community. And yeah. so a lot of artists have been referred to me via the community. All of them have. Right. Like, basically, everything that's ever kind of come into my awareness has come from a friend in the in the end like if if this person's like dude i can't i can't do this or this is more of a you thing then i look at it like that that happened with moaning that happened with caitlin um caitlin aurelia smith who i don't know if you're familiar with i don't know her but i know moaning she's awesome she's like at a an incredible artist that um u.s girls was okay, referred yeah. to me um red fang was uh jimmy album leaf was mm-hmm. jonathan rice yeah. yeah like they all jonathan i know yeah jonathan's been on the podcast really yeah he's one, one of my favorite guests ever because he's, he's brilliant such a fucking we have the same kind of uh ridiculous sense of, sense humor. of humor yes i can yes, see that yes. well we were in acting class together too so oh. we were just like yeah <laughs> And it's, he's like one of those guys that I, ne- I never see. Like, we don't hang out that Like, we hang yeah. out like maybe twice a year, but it's like, it's, it's awesome. immediately like, sort of like, oh, here, right here back we in. go. Like, here goes the fucking routine. <laughs> yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. A couple of show offs, but uh, he's pretty great. Yeah. Talented dude. Yeah. Um, so, so, and then in, as far as uh, when you're like, how does it work as far as like, I've always, people ask me these kinds of questions, and these are maybe silly questions, but mm. like, uh, like in a, a a manager gets like twenty percent of money. Is that like how it works? Like fifteen or twenty? Okay, yeah, yeah, fifteen or twenty. And then booking agents get ten. Ten. Why? Why is it that that's what it is? Like I just always wonder the about percentages. Yeah, like how did they figure this out? And why is I don't, it? Why is it still the same? And why is it like? I wish it was more. Well, no. of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wish my guarantees were more for totally. the show. We know, all but of we course. all need more. And then I'd give you more money. Right. But um, <laughs> but like you know. It's just interesting that the, the like, and it's the same in the acting thing. It's like you have a, you have an agent. Uh, like I have an agent for acting. I don't have a manager, but I know a lot of actors that do have managers. Right. And you know, it's like the agent gets ten percent, and yeah. the manager gets twenty. Right. Know, so. I, you know, I don't know where that standard yeah. was set or yeah. when it was set, but it's been that way since I've been working in right. this business. Yeah. It's, a it's long what I've time. always heard. It's always 
15 to 20 percent since the know? 90s yeah. i was like 20 percent 15 percent and 10 percent and then business management five percent like it's stayed the same that's so funny i know and i'm like i don't know who said that or when that was said but it is that yeah i wish i could answer that i'll have to do some research. no i'm just curious about it but <laughs> have you ever had like but so we talked about you know being friends with artists and stuff like that mm-hmm. and have you ever been had a relationship that sort of dissolved and then it became like sort of a cantankerous sort of like i'm not going to talk to that person or work with that person again or anything like that you don't have to name names (laughs) i'm just saying like you know just in general for sure yeah 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 where i was just like wow yeah you're like a bummer yeah yes absolutely because it's uh, this the music business for instance man i feel like it's really one of those things where people start out like at, you feel like you have to be friends with the people that you're working with, and and then it and then sometimes it dissolves and you realize why well, I didn't oh, even yeah. know this. Well, person. on like, the on the business side yeah. and on the artist yeah, side, exactly, both sides, yeah. where yeah. I'm like, you're a terrible person, yeah, <laughs> and like, and you know, lots of terrible people like working with other terrible people. Yeah, There's tons of that. You know, bird. It's birds of a feather. Like attracts like, and certain hubs connect with each other and they have their own little whatever rodeos and well i feel like music is like sort of if when it's considered an art Mm -hmm. that people uh feel this ownership over it and maybe they didn't have as much to do with the record as they as they think they did right and when it gets taken away or get you know they they oh i did all this to get get this thing there or that place or or Yeah. yeah i mean i have two gold records that like i mean but i don't really consider that like i right that it's my gold record you know well, like the, but you everyone has a part sure on the team you know if like, i worked you're, i yeah. worked it you know yeah, like for, totally but i mean you know what i mean like it, it, and i feel like in another business i don't know maybe you worked in just an office of i think that people that are working in music they're working there because they're passionate about this art form you know and so if you're working at like Xerox or something, yeah. and you get fired, you're not like, I'm never going to talk to those no. people again. Unless, you know, it's like... Well, I mean, unless like, I don't know. shoot the place up, I You're guess. getting high off of copier ink <laughs> and you feel really connected to that place. Yeah, but, but like, it's... You, you know, know what I mean? It's not this personal... No, it's not. It's not. And the art is the thing that drives us. Like when it comes... In all forms of art, yeah. you can see it. Whether it was like a painter or a filmmaker or like I was there for his first thing, you know, his first film or I was there, you know, during this and I'm like, yeah. Well, and as you ascend as the artist, you kind of tend to have to leave people behind. Yeah, you know what? Absolutely. If it's like a publicist or a booking agent and you have to go to the next level, mm-hmm. you know, like and, and, and I feel like, you know, as you're going, you, you might have to like leave people behind and those people can feel like, fuck, I got you this far and then you left right. me behind. Like, it's yeah, it's hard because, but there are different, you know, each level, whatever they may be, you know, there's there's so many dynamics that play into that. It's like, are you the business person ready for this next mm-hmm. level? Do you know what you would be doing? Like, once an artist has hit a certain right. level, like, do you know what to do with that? Because those are real questions. Yeah. Like, all right, we're going into radio land. Do you know how to work a radio campaign as a as opposed to just being an indie artist playing the Fonda? Like, it's a whole different game. And so, like, when it comes to, and, you know, I've never, 
I've never leaned towards radio world. Like that was never my goal. Like, you know, signing bands like the Decemberists and, you know, it was never about radio. Right. It was about. Well, radio. And I think, I think it's been kind of explained, but still, I think some people don't realize like that, like the whole pay to play thing is still, they've just moved it around. It just looks different. It just looks different. And, Honestly, if you're going to like apply it to streaming right. and major labels, you know, these licensing deals that are going down between the labels masters and the DSPs, there are What's the DSP? Uh, digital streaming platform, ah, Spotify, okay. Deezer. Yes, yes. Um, so when it comes to that deal, each licensing deal, there's all kinds of points to it. Right. And you know, it's it it leans in like the major label favor of space and what they're going to do for these artists to get the deal done. Right. It's like you're going to place us. You know, there's there's things that are happening in those worlds that like okay, uh, how did this editorial playlist just appear like this? All, you know, there's yeah. there's like there's a reason. It for, feels like you can get to like you can you'd have to kind of realize where the the ceiling is because even like even like a band like the Black Keys for instance they're yeah. played on the radio now but they're not played on the radio the way that like it's Ed not Sheeran, it's not top forty Ed, Ed Sheeran or right. Taylor Swift is played you know no, they're and not a top forty band right like and, Maroon Five would be the Black Keys of top forty right. yeah exactly <laughs> there's a guitar yes exactly that's James. what I'm saying yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like especially for like a rock band you right. know like there's there's a ceiling you know and it and it would almost be foolish as as a manager or as your as your job to be like oh we're gonna like take you to this level. Knowing yeah. full well that, like, no matter what you did, you could write the best song in the world. It's still not going to get on there. It depends know? on what you write. Yeah. And some people try and play that game. And you can, you know, kind of finagle with iHeartRadio, who have a pretty big, you know, reach in the broad, the terrestrial broadcasting world. You can, you can play the game, you know, even like I look at some, like, you know, Beck's last record, there was some pretty pop rock tunes mm-hmm. on that album. And I could tell they were kind of trying to play the radio game with him. Like the crossover radio game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see it with like Diplo went country. You know, they they started to play the game of like, we're going to insert you here with these people. We're going to have this person write a track with you. I mean, Beck's record, this one is Pharrell and Beck. Um, I don't know what, it won't play that game that we're talking about, but it will be well received and loved and it already is. And I, he's, I love everything he does. I'm a huge fan as well as a friend, but mm-hmm. like, it's one of those things that it depend. like there are strategic moves that can be played with any artists, but you have to, you make like critical decisions going, okay, if we play this game and it fails and it doesn't look very good, right? it could be one of those, rec- like kind of like Timbaland and Chris Cornell album. That was a really, yeah. really big stretch. Yeah. And it they spent $2 million on that record, and it sold 60,000 copies. Yeah. And you heard that record. I forgot about it, but yeah, yeah now that you easily, bring... <laughs> yeah, that was a moment of back. the game. But why do you think like someone like Beck has had such a, like, a long career? Because, I mean, when, when I first heard him, it was Loser. Of course, you know, Of same. course, on MTV. Yeah. And was just like, wow, this is fucking weird. And even like my dad at the time was like, oh, this is cool. Like, what is this? This is like, this guy's different. And like, I like it because it's kind of funny and it's catchy. And I don't know what it is. And then when when I got to Sub Pop, there was a guy that worked at Sub Pop who had played on 
the K record oh, right. from years ago yeah. that Beck had put out. One Foot in the Grave. Yeah, One yeah. Foot in the Grave. Mm-hmm. A, a couple guys that I knew played on that record. And then I was like, oh, weird. This guy that I know on MTV is yeah. on this label K, which is even smaller than Sub Pop. Yeah. So like he's like Calvin's going around. Label. Yeah, he's going around and like knowing what was cool on that whole totally. thing. And it was like totally like, you know, in my young mind, just going like, wow, how do, how do they even know about each other? You know, <laughs> right, like being a right. dummy. You know? That was a coalescing of so many moments that will never be reproduced because that's when I mean I had I remember being here in LA seeing Beck you know he and I became friendly in I think 89 90 he was playing in people's backyards yeah all the parties and all the things on like a piece of cardboard he'd be break dancing boombox right here it was awesome and I'm yeah. like he's such a little tripper he'll just like roll up on stage and do that and no one was doing that and he was also mixing rap with rock so with the blues so i was like all right this guy's like on a whole other trip and such a visionary and he wrote a song that crossed it's like one of those songs that like just appeals to everyone yeah. they're so hard to write it's yeah. kind of like the portugal the man song where you're like oh yeah that's going to become a massive hit because it kind of touches on all these different things which one's the portugal the man that that the right what's it called the giant hit oh i don't know i didn't i you, once you hear it, you'll okay. be like, oh, yeah, that song's Well, massive. someone told me about, uh, what was the guy, uh, Gautier or whatever, you know? Gautier. Gautier. Yeah. Someone told me, like, I was at the park one day walking my dog, and someone's like, oh, yeah, you know that Gautier song? And I was like, no, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, you've with heard it. on it. You know it. And yep. I was like, I don't know it. They're like, you, do. you know it. <laughs> you know the and song. I, I know, you I'll, know both these songs. I'll look it up. I'll know it. <laughs> yes. I, I know Because I was like, I was like, I do not know it. And this guy's, you fucking know it. And this guy I hadn't seen in a long time, and I are screaming at the yeah, park, you know, throwing totally. it Anyways, yeah, I'll, I'll find out. It's t- that's top 40 when right. it does that but like to to add to your question is i mean the relevance of him is that you know have they tried to like finesse things to go into certain areas and cross for sure but he always stays the course of yeah. who he is but do you think because of like the loot it's, it's called loser right that's the, the name big of the song, song. Yeah. from the back it's just yeah. called loser mm-hmm. do you think because of that song once he had that song mm-hmm. he had some sort of like sort of uh backup in or uh, uh reinforcement in he his pocket hit. you know that yeah. he could always go back like he when he walks in the room you know he could go like hey like i've done this before right I'm motherfucking Beck or yeah. whatever, however he talks. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, not that. I, know. Uh, I just, uh, I can't wait. I'm going to ask him. You know, I'm motherfucking Beck. <laughs> I'm going to do this song with Pharrell. And right. I don't know why he talks like that, but uh, in my version. And right. so, uh, but you know what I mean? Like he's got yeah. this credibility that he can 100%. always go like, you know, he's so got, he can kind of maneuver a little bit more he, than a new band, like, you know, like, you know, Radiohead when they had Creep. Right. Like they had, yeah. I used to dance to that song in high school, like totally. at dances when I was in junior Huge high, you know, because we would like slow dance and then we would headbang. <laughs> and that was it. It was like this moment of like, okay, this band, I never cared. And then that came out, and then OK Computer after that, and it gave them the creative license to do Kid A. Yeah, they kept changing and evolving, and now see, they're... I'm the opposite because I'm I'm like the guy. I'd be the guy at at the label that would always be like turning everything down because I thought it was too like uh too mainstream or whatever and like when after that creep song hit yeah 
I was like, I'll never. I was too punk rock. I was like, I'll never listen to Radiohead again. Like, right? Like, oh, they have You've this great album. Out. You know, I, not even sold out. I was just like, oh, they're on the fucking radio, and I'm like, it's listening not yours Dead anymore. Kennedy, so I'm not yeah. listening to this. It's I was, not your band anymore. I was into the Misfits. I was like, I don't need totally Radiohead. You know, I mean, like, who doesn't? Love but I just the never grew out of that though. I was like, Misfits, Metallica's cool, but I was like, no. But fucking. they were on the radio too. I know, but <laughs> I, but later though. Yeah. I mean, you know, not the one, that, not the stuff I was listening to. But right. But I'm saying radio had the first thing I heard was on the radio, you know? Right. So. Well, because you're discovered. It's that initial, um, what do you say? The initial impression. Yeah. You were like, oh, you guys are like those major label people. You know, mm-hmm. you have like, and I understand because yeah. you and I both come from DIY backgrounds. Yeah. I was, I mean, we were DIY with like some cactus. Like we had nothing. <laughs> I had cactus too. I was in <laughs> Eastern Washington. It's a fucking desert. No one, yeah, everyone thinks you're from Washington nothing. and it's all green and rainy. It's no. fucking tumbleweeds. We had right. tumbleweed for Christmas tree one year. That's really yes. amazing. Yeah. We didn't have that. I don't even know. We had a menorah. Um, there you go. But, that's why. <laughs> with no tumbleweed. But um, that's a good idea for a little yarmulke mm-hmm. on top of it. But yeah, basically. We flocked it. Cute. Yeah, oh, God, I like that idea. Yeah. It's kind of something. That my dad took us out in the desert, and we found a giant tumbleweed, and we brought it back, and we spray painted it white, and like fucking decorated it with oh like tinsel God. and shit. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I like that. Desert Christmas, it's a Christmas card. Uh-huh. Um, but you, your initial, like your discover a time and a place, yeah. like where you discovered it, how you discovered it, is huge. Totally. And that's you didn't you're discover finding something on the radio. I mean, it, it it hasn't been cool in so long. I wonder how it is for kids now because, like you and I, when we would when we would get an album or something or a record or whatever, and you would look at it, it what it did was it gave me more questions than answers. Totally. You know, I'd be like, why is that guy wearing that shirt? Like. Totally. It, like, why? That guy's into that, too? Yeah. Like, this doesn't make sense. I thought this guy was a heavy metal guy. Why is he, like, wearing a Misfit shirt? Like, right. Burton from Metallica. I was like, right. he, he likes punk rock? Like, so confused Yeah, by there it. were, like, things, questions. Yeah. And I was like, oh, those guys are from L.A., but, like, but like I thought L.A. was, like, glam metal. Like, yeah. this is how dumb my brain was. Like, ignorant I was. I was just but, like... No, but it's great. Like, you know? That's, so, that's where you get the origin stories. Yeah. Like, when you're looking at a photograph and you're like, okay, what is the deal with like all these people and all their you know whatever they're wearing whoever posed them a certain way like right. okay you guys are in, why did you shoot this in this area <laughs> like what the same thing know. comes back though where i go like oh i don't need to be like up front at the rock concert someone else can be there and i go like oh these kids don't understand and it's like no they have their own thing it's like the instagram thing they have their way yep. of like understanding it that i don't understand totally you know and it's totally fine yeah. it's just you know tiktok i'm, I'm just reverse it. ignorance of like now i don't understand what young people <laughs> But I mean, it's blissful at some point too. Like, just know that they're having a blast. Yeah. Because I'm looking at certain things and going, "Looks like they're having a great time." Do like with the information that you and I have. Yeah, we don't belong there. Yeah, <laughs> we don't. That's just that's like a fact. So, what do you think though? Like for like a band now, like just a rock and roll band, like what like what is important outside of writing good music? Because the thing is, every, people ask me like, "Oh, how do you like?" do this and do this it's like Mm. if you're good people are just gonna find you and they're gonna like you and if you put on a good show people are gonna come and if you write good songs people are gonna listen to them that's the answer that's all it is i mean but like with spotify and Bandcamp and touring and like you know like what like 
are all these things necessary? And if so, like what's more necessary or what? See, works? I, I'm a big proponent and I've had this conversation. I had this conversation like a week ago because, you know, one of the artists was like, well, I mean, videos don't really like make a big difference. You know, I'm like, Hey, don't leave any stone unturned. Right. I'm in my eyes. All the parts make up the whole. And sure, if your video gets 100,000 views, it's not that many in the video view land. Ours get like 6,000. But <laughs> those are 6,000 views of people that, you know what I mean? For me, I like it's, making music videos because yeah. I live in LA and I have a bunch of friends that are like do in this. do that. And yeah. so it's super fun to get together and like do make something. A that's the thing. It's like we is, just want to make a thing. You and know? that is ultimately like that's important yeah. and that's why you make art mm -hmm. you get together you make music you get together you make a video about the totally. music etc etc and with like the what drives what and what's the most important i'm all it's all kind of important like you don't want to not do something because it's not garnering millions and millions of streams it's like if it's if it's i mean obviously like if it does nothing at all okay <laughs> like that's not a great way to maybe spend a ton of money, but I think that people should make all the assets they can so we can fulfill all the areas that demand them, that want them. And it, I do think it's important because leaving like space, like gaps and like discovery areas is not a great idea, you know, mm -hmm. because there's so many discovery areas and YouTube is still the largest streaming platform there is. It's bigger than everything else. Right. So why not? add something to it granted how are people going to find it well depending on the situation you're in like you know i i i've worked with like advertising marketing firms and of course that takes money but i also only take on things that might have some support because i don't want to be the one going like oh my god i gotta figure no i can't i need to like take on a situation that has support well and i've had that situation too have like as a as a publicist to have like yeah a band that you thought was really good or even like bands that I was kind of helping to like kind of sign or whatever that we really liked, but like, yeah, they're not going to sell a lot of records. And then they kind of go like, well, what happened? You're just like, I don't know. You know, like it doesn't right. mean that you're not good, but it it's doesn't, just, you know, there's a lot out there. It probably means you are good <laughs> in a way, <laughs> Who you, know? Knows? you know, who knows? Well, Brian Eno said it best. If you're doing something like really unique, getting there first, well then you're probably, you know, if, if it's about making money, don't be the first. Yeah. Be the second. Yeah. Be, <laughs> totally. Don't be the guy who has the boat. Be the best friend of the guy who has the boat. Right. And just show up just with some hand on the boat. <laughs> well, I think I think that's some good advice, Laura, and I think we're going to leave Laurel. it there. I said Laurel. You said Lauren. No, I said Laurel. <laughs> okay. I said I, I went off mic with the okay. L. Lauren. <laughs> Anyways, Laurel. I know, I know your name. I know your name. Uh, Was that your wedding? I know. <laughs> Uh, Laurel Stearns. Yes. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jeff. We're going to end there with that advice. So thank you very much. Oh, my God. Thanks for having me. We'll see you. And Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you and anyone who's listening. Anyone who's listening. <laughs> All right. See you next time. See yeah. ya.